Youngstown, December 8th. It is rumored here that the ghost of Mademoiselle Galtard, the beautiful and cultured French governess who suicided at Henry Bennell's residence last spring by throwing herself out of an attic window, has been seen quite often lately on cloudy but moonlit nights, walking in the vicinity of the spot where she met her horrible and untimely death. The specter is reported to be clad in white, with her wealth of auburn tresses falling gracefully over her shoulders. She walks with a slow, measured tread, with head bowed and always muttering a prayer or singing a chant, which is unrecognizable, probably because it is recited in French. The marble-like form disappears when approached, or when the clouds break away and reveal the moon's bright light. Timid women and children are afraid to pass that way at night, and more than one responsible person claims to have seen the French girl's ghost. This is episode 31, The Story of the Ghost. once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. It was approximately 6.15 a.m. on the morning of November 19, 1888, that a servant in Youngstown, Ohio, smelled smoke. The servant was employed at the mansion of Henry O. Bunnell at 315 Wick Avenue. The homeowner was president of Brown, Bunnell & Company, a Youngstown iron manufacturer. The Bunnell mansion is no longer there, but a photograph indicates that it was next door to the Youngstown Public Library. I couldn't download the photograph, but there's a link to it in the show notes if you're interested in seeing it. The servant had been sent to the rooms of a Mademoiselle Julie Goddard, employed as a governess in the Bunnell household on behalf of another employee. The 23-year-old Goddard had been in the employ of Mr. Bunnell for just over a week, having shown up at the house on November 8th. I'd assume in response to an advertisement Bunnell had placed, but it's not clear from the initial reportage. But when the other servant knocked at the door and asked if she was alright, Mademoiselle Goudart replied that a dress she had washed was hung too close to the fire in her room, accounting for the smell. Letting her know she was wanted downstairs, the servant turned and left. Shortly after 6.30 a.m., then, The servants heard a scream and a crash. Rushing outside, the body of Mademoiselle Goudart was found lying on the sidewalk next to the house. At around the same time, others noticed more smoke and realized there was likely a fire in the house. Remembering the smell of smoke from the governess's room, the second group broke down the door to her room and discovered that a clay pot 
stuffed with some of her clothing, was lying in the fireplace. Some of the residents rushed out to see about Goudart's condition, but quickly realized that she was beyond help, her skull badly fractured and her neck broken. She had, in fact, hit the ground with such force that one of the flagstones in the sidewalk she was lying on was splintered into four pieces. Shortly after the young Frenchwoman's suicide, her actions over the past few days were recalled and seemed to have a bearing on the day's events. Until last Thursday, she was Mary and took a deep interest in conversation and her duties to the children. A, no- a November 29th article in the Youngstown Telegram read, On that day, she received a letter bearing the New York postmark. A large red seal was used to close the envelope. She opened the letter, perused its contents, and then destroyed it. From that moment on, she was noticed to act strangely, as though demented. It is highly probable that when she returned to the house on Friday, after several hours' absence, with her dress soaking wet and with disheveled hair, she had probably endeavored to take her life by drowning. If the contents of the letter received on Thursday were only known, much additional light would no doubt be thrown on the matter, for it was the contents of this letter, evidently, that prompted the insane act of self-destruction. The same newspaper's initial reporting of the suicide on November 21st supplied the next day's actions. On Saturday, she wrote several letters and seemed to have an air of utter disregard as to her surroundings. She was driven to Dr. Wilcox's office, who examined her and said to a member of the family that her mind was unbalanced and to watch her. On Saturday evening, she expressed her intention of returning to New York on Sunday but was persuaded to give up that idea. Back to the November 29th article initially cited. On November 20th, a letter was received from the same person and bearing similar seal with the New York postmark. This letter was received just a few moments after the unfortunate girl breathed her last. It was hastily broken open with the hope of ascertaining the real cause of Mademoiselle Goudart's strange demeanor and her tragic death. The letter was found to be written in French, with no name signed or anything in the letter that would lead directly to identification of the writer. Following is the letter. New York, November 17th, 1888. Your letter is frightful. Not one regret, not one hope, not one reference to yourself. It is so gloomy, so terrifying, that it leaves one to suppose anything, to fear anything. You ask yourself what I can have to tell you. Well, I have but one thing to say, one prayer to make you. Come back here without delay. That which I propose to you is possible. You will find again in a safe and quiet life the calm and serene mind, now so gloomy. And in the calm you will find yourself again, little by little, happiness and possible dream of the future. Come back here, you must. I do not know what will become of you if I abandon you to yourself. Your sudden departure from New York when I was just seeing the possibility of offering you a sweet and agreeable home here was a great mistake. But I am not angry with you, and you have still time to repair it. In charity do so. Reflect well on all I said in our last interview. Your letter has so upset me that I am not able to understand my impression or sentiments or to collect my ideas. But in one or the other, 
There is no reproach in this cry of distress that I send you. Come back here. It is not in vain that I have promised you my help. My devotion and my feelings toward you will remain unalterable. You will have in me everything that your true feelings recommend. You will always have an honest and loyal man, a true and devoted friend who will not abandon you. You will at least have a helper and defender. If he cannot give you any consolation or encouragement, you will have a friend who will do all for you. Calm your mind. Let a little happiness enter your heart, a smile and live in your face. You speak of your father. I shall be happy to do all in my power, but where and how? Your letter says nothing about him. You do not give me the least indication. Ah, poor child, in what moral state are you? Come here at once, I want you. If you have not the means, telegraph me. Come, come. You have told me you love to hear me speak. Come and let us have a little talk, the same as we did that day in my office. Your face bright, your looks animated, cause a profound emotion. But alas, all that has passed in your, hor in your horrible resolution. You should take a servant. The best to you, I await you. The seal on the envelope was made with red wax, about the size of a silver half-dollar. There were no words on the impression. It was an octagon figure enclosed by a pointed circle with a plain circle on the outside. It would be recognized at a glance as the stamp of a foreigner. Well, no, just because the person wrote in French and used a signet stamp, they weren't necessarily a foreigner, but, you know, that's the 19th century press for you. At any rate, attempts were made to identify the person in question. The next day, a trunk and a bag belonging to Mademoiselle Goudart were broken open, and it was found that the girl's name was actually Galtard and not Goudart. This seems to me to have likely resulted from misunderstanding her accent. My guess is that the name discrepancy isn't indicative of any sort of deception on her part, but who knows. An account of the opening of the luggage appearing in the New York Herald Tribune on November 22nd reports that a duly signed and sealed certificate of birth shows that her full name was Julie Henriette Emma Galtard and that she was born in Aylant, France on April 2nd, 1866. Her father was Jules Goutard, ex-chief justice of the peace of the canton of Aylant. A diploma of the Academy of Dijon showed that Mademoiselle Galtard finished her education there on June 5, 1884. Also found were several photographs, one of which was reported by the Youngstown Telegram to have been of a blonde-haired young man, which apparently had something in French written on it. Though the photograph was taken in London, apparently, an inscription on it read Paris, June 7, 1888. The body of the 22-year-old Frenchwoman was hastily buried. Almost as soon as the coroner had completed his examination of the body, she was interred in the potter's field of the local cavalry cemetery. So quickly did they bury her that her parents in France were not yet even informed of their daughter's death, nor was her body even embalmed. There were protests in the telegram about the strange and inhospitable haste 
with which her, bo- her remains were treated in this city of Christian civilization. There was nothing in her death that demanded a hasty consignment to Mother Earth. Yet almost within 24 hours from the time life was extinct, the remains were hurried into a grave, as though the death had been caused by some pestilential or contagious disease, it was said in the Youngstown Vindicator on November 22nd. Henry O. Bunnell accompanied Galtard's plain casket to its burial place. Within a short time, however, several members of the community paid to have the body exhumed and embalmed by some local undertakers. She was transferred into a better quality coffin. The body was still in good condition, and an open casket service was held. Some viewers of the dead woman thought that there was a possibility she may have actually been Suzanne Fairweather, an English woman educated in France who had gone missing in Columbus, Ohio, on November 9th, and was of similar age and physical appearance to Galtard. Suzanne Fairweather had left the home of Reverend Isaac F. King, whose daughter she was visiting, at about 3.30 in the afternoon, and had said she would return at around 6 o'clock that evening. She did not. It was at first supposed that her disappearance was precipitated by financial difficulty, but such was not the case, according to her sister, a Mrs. Paula Perrier of New York. The sister did report that Suzanne had contracted a brain fever, that summer, and that she was thereafter afflicted by fainting. Periodic bouts of melancholia were noted by a New York doctor, Vincent Zolnowski. As it turned out, Fairweather's body was found in Alum Creek, a waterway passing through Columbus, the next year, an apparent suicide. Even after Galtard's second burial had taken place, More information as to the circumstances leading up to her suicide was coming to light. A piece appearing in the New York Herald, an interview with Madame Correre, who ran the agency in New York through which Galtard was employed, revealed that the Italian consul, Giovanni Raffo, called a week ago Sunday upon Madame Correre and asked for Miss Galtard's address. He said he had a very important letter for her. It was sent on, and soon afterward Mrs. Bunnell wrote to Madame Quarer to say that Miss Galtard was acting strangely. So, presumably the letter that Raffo was referring to was the one that she had received the third Thursday before the suicide, the one that had precipitated the entire ordeal. Another piece of the puzzle came to light when the vice consul of France in Philadelphia, a Monsieur Lavassioni, communicated to Henry Bunnell that when Mademoiselle Galtard was in that city, she had also attempted suicide, this time via laudanum poisoning. Mrs. William A. Dick, who had employed Galtard here, said that, When I was in Paris this summer, I was in need of a governess and advertised in the Herald's Paris edition. Among the score of replies I received was one from Mademoiselle Marie Goudert. I was pleased with the tone of her application and went to see her. She was living in a suburb of the city, where her father was what we call a justice of the peace. I found her family quite decent people, refined and educated. I was pleased with the applicant and her family, and I engaged her. I found her a charming girl and took a decided fancy to her. When I came back to America, I brought her with me, 
but after she had been only a short time in this house, I was obliged to part with her. Why? Oh, partly from reasons of a private nature, and partly because she herself desired to go. There was no quarrel or anything disagreeable between us. When I found she was bent on going, I gave her the privilege of sending to me for a reference, and recommended her to a French employment office in New York City. She went to it, and shortly I had an application from her from the Benells of Youngstown. I gave her the strongest recommendations, and she was engaged by them. I know of no reason why she should have taken such a rash step. It is true she was despondent at times while with me, and perhaps homesick. But clearly, if the information given by La Vocione was was correct, she had attempted suicide at Mrs. Dick's. Something tells me that her Philadelphia employer was being less than completely honest. Did the poisoning attempt precipitate her leaving Mrs. Dick's employ? The fact that she was referred to as Marie is also puzzling, as that was not only her not her name, but it's not wasn't even part of her name. Giovanni Battista Raffo, the Italian consul mentioned earlier, was also interviewed by the New York Herald on November 22nd. He stated that Mademoiselle Goudart, Goudart came to my office at the same time as she applied to Madame Quarer and requested me to secure a position for her. It was evident that she was mentally off, off her balance. She was troubled in spirit, and I was so impressed with the nature of doing something for her to aid her that I urged her to return to her home in France. I insisted on furnishing her a, pa- a passage. She declined, however, to accept tickets and said she desired to secure employment in this country. In January 1889... Jules Galtard, the girl's father, communicated with Youngstown that he was unable to afford the cost of having his daughter's remains brought to France, and once more, the French woman's corpse was exhumed, removed from the vault in which it had been placed, and buried in an unmarked grave. And there it remains to this day, in Cavalry Cemetery, but we know not where. Some unanswered questions pose themselves. The fact that the girl was buried three separate times and the haste with which she was interred initially, I find puzzling. Approximately a year after her third burial, the ghost described in the introduction was seen a few times near the Bunnell Mansion, and after that, the ghost, like the, lo- like the location of Julie Gautard's final resting place, disappears. And that's the end of this episode. If you have a question, a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post it to our Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77 at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast. And so, until next episode, this is Andrew, signing off.